Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for uh, this man who you've placed among us. Thank you for his heart to serve. I pray for us as a congregation to have open hearts and ears to what you want to say through him. Amen. Amen. Hopefully, is this thing on? You came just in time, Paul, for the good part. He's <laughs> just taking time to be a dad. What a great leader. Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't know how to rescue myself from this sound thing, so you guys help me. Um, yeah, anyways, um, thank you, Bernie, for your prayers, and thanks, Paul, for the opportunity to be in the pulpit. Um, and yeah, today is actually my first Sunday being here in July, but it's the third Sunday um, in a series of missions. And just listening back to the previous talks, it's quite exciting to see how God has kind of ordained this theme that's running through about missional living. So I don't think any of the messages were necessarily prepared in direct consultation with one another, uh, but God is bringing this theme through, and it's the same theme that he laid on my heart as I began to prepare for this moment some time ago. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, last week, Gareth spoke about needing to know Jesus well so that we can uh, multiply his, um, or obey his call to multiply. And so I really hope that today's message will help us um, to, to get to know Jesus a bit better. Um, just before we get started, I will invite Kendra to come up and read uh, for us from John 1. So you can come up and grab the mic from Bernie. And I come from a bit of a Reformed uh, church background, so I'm going to ask everyone to please stand up for the reading of God's Word. Um, and also just to, to know that in the Reformed churches, the sermon is normally short and, and, and concise and to the point. But also, I've been spending a lot of time with Paul, and he's not really concise and to the point. So we're going to land up somewhere in the middle. Um, um, but yeah, Kendra will read with us, and then we'll dig into the word. All right, we're going to read from John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. With, without him, what nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, and we thank you, um, just as was sung earlier by the band, we just ask Holy Spirit that you would come and move among us, and we pray that you would reveal your truth to us and that you would just speak through me the words that you want us to hear and that we might become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. 
Yeah, let me get this on. Yeah, so before we get into that passage that Kendra read for us, um, I want us actually to quickly look uh, a little bit forward in the book to John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 to 23, and, and we're going to refer particularly just quickly to verse 21. Um, and so this book of John, the Gospel of John, it's generally accepted that um, John, who is referred to throughout the book as the disciple who Jesus loved, and not to be confused with John the Baptist or the baptizer that was mentioned here in chapter 1. Uh, this John the disciple wrote this book about 60 years after uh, the events in the book took place, and he had become a prominent leader in the early church. He was a leader at some stage in the church in Ephesus, um, and so he was writing this message to remind his audience um, of what Christ had done and, and to bring the gospel narrative back into focus uh, so that they could find hope and strength for following Jesus, uh, even as they lived in a time facing a great deal of persecution in, in diaspora. John says he retold the story of Jesus' life so that people could find hope and find life and salvation in Christ. Um, so let's look at John chapter 20, uh, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, this is after the resurrection, the morning after the resurrection, or the day after, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So here's the scene, they're in a room, the disciples are in a locked room the day after the resurrection, and Jesus appears to them uh, out of nowhere, we're not told exactly how, but he's, he's standing among them and telling them something very important, that they are going to be sent just like he was sent from the Father. Um, and so today what I want to do in this message is to take us back to see exactly how Jesus was sent on mission by the Father. And we'll do that mostly through looking at John chapter 1. And further on, we'll see how Jesus was received on his mission and then what implications that might have for us uh, today. So I personally love the Gospel of John. And it reveals so much about Jesus' mission and about the opportunity that we have to serve in that mission. And, and it's been a book that really played a, piv a pivotal role in transforming my life and getting me to where I am today. And so... You'll most of you will know, or at least by now you would have heard, uh, that I'm not originally from Stellenbosch. Um, but however, I've lived longer in this town than anywhere else. Um, but you know, um, uh, and I can never actually be from Stellenbosch. But people ask, where are you from? And I don't know what to say because I'm an incomer, but this is my home. Um, I was actually born in America. And when I was about five years old, I left with my family, my father and mother went to work as, as missionaries in Kenya in a, kind of in a traditional missionary hospital setup. Um, and we lived there for a number of years and later on moved to Nigeria. My parents were involved in community health development in northern Nigeria, working among the Fulani people who were, at the time, it was one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Um, and my wife, Kendra, who read for us so well, um, she's from Nigeria. 
So her parents worked in Nigeria for over 30 years as missionaries with the Southern Baptist Church. Um, and we met there and we grew up together in this missionary space. But being from these families who committed their lives to missions, it was actually not something that we ever thought that we would carry on. We had really no desire to work in a church, no real desire to stand in front of a church and preach the word, and no desire to teach theology or to um, do any of the things that are really associated normally with missionary work in the traditional uh, Western church's viewpoint of missions. Um, so it's interesting that we stand here today. I think the whole connotation around the word missionary is something that Kendra and I have often struggled with uh, because we've lived and we've seen how the church tends to elevate so-called missionaries onto this pedestal and treat them as if they're some sort of super spiritual uh, beings when we know, in fact, that that is not true. We're all uh, broken sinners. Um, so it wasn't really until I started to study the Bible for myself and read passages like John 1 and 1 Peter 4 um, that I really started to understand the importance of missional living and what is that actually all about. Um, actually, back in 2009, I was working um, for a university in the U.S., and I, I was working at a huge student missions conference, and John 1 was the theme, and it was about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it was actually out of that conference in 2009 that I got the opportunity to visit South Africa and to come here for the World Cup in 2010 and came into Stellenbosch in a similar rainy, cold moment like today. Um, and it was while I was here uh, that I was introduced to some sports ministry concepts that really transformed the tra trajectory of my life um, and our family's life forever. Um, I stayed here just for a couple of weeks and went back to the U.S. and, and shared my experience with Kendra, and we quickly made this radical decision to, to resign from our jobs and to stop kind of the pursuit of the American dream and the, the pursuit of financial comfort and security, and, and we decided to move here. Um, actually, to be honest, our lives in Stellenbosch are much more uh, comfortable and luxurious than our lives were in the U.S., um, but nevertheless, we went out to step out into the unknown um, and, and we came here to see how God was at work through sports, soccer specifically, transforming lives and using the game to, to kind of help in the spread of the gospel. And, and through that journey, we helped to start an organization called Training for Changes that we work with today. Um, and God has done so much to, to change our own lives, but as well as the lives of people in this town that we're privileged to work with. Um, so that's a bit about me, but we're not here to listen to my story. Uh, we're here to see um, what God's story is all about and to focus on that and learn more about his ongoing mission. So, yeah, let's turn back um, our attention to John chapter 1, and we'll, we'll um, go a little bit verse by verse and, and move around that John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, so you can keep it open in your Bible or on your phone. Um, and you can just um, follow along with me, if you will. Um, we'll actually want to start at verse 14. Um, there the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So 
this verse for me provided this incredible aha moment in the in the kind of the overarching biblical narrative and it's something that maybe I'll share now and it's you know you've already thought about it but for me it was something that was um, really really profound in the way that I got to understand it and and so when he says here the word became flesh and and dwelt among us John is talking about the incarnation of Jesus so Jesus being born a human into a particular um, family during a particular time in a cultural context and the other Gospels uh, talk about the whole scene of Jesus being born in a stable to a poor teenage mother but this gospel here the the, the gospel of John this text highlights something that I found to be particularly uh, mind-blowing if you would look back at verses 1 to 3 uh, you see this this term the word um, and as you read this passage, you get to know that the word he's talking about here is Jesus. And Jesus, it says, was there in the beginning with God. In fact, the word was God, and all of creation came into being through him. And so when John is, is talking about this whole, and as it's translated there, it's, it's a little bit kind of a little bit hard to follow, but the essence of what he's doing is, is reflecting and echoing Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 3, the creation narrative, uh, which Gareth also touched on last week. But Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in Genesis 1, uh, verse 3, we read that God said, and ten times throughout chapter 1 of Genesis, um, the word of God speaks over creation. So what John is doing here in, in John chapter 1 is highlighting that the same Jesus that was sent to dwell among us as flesh was there in the beginning of time with God the Father, and God created the world through him. And when I read this for the, and got to understand this for the first time, it's just really uh, a profound moment in my understanding of who Jesus is. And if you can remember in, in John chapter 20, in the passage that I read at the end there, he breathed on his disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, in Genesis 1 verse 2, it said that the Spirit was there hovering over the waters. Um, and so just as Gareth alluded to last week, there's the triune God, the Trinity right there at the center of the story from the beginning throughout Scripture and as he looked at last week into Revelation, into the future. Um, so it's really God at the center of the story. There's uh, David Bosch, a revolutionary missiologist from a little town in the Northern Cape. You may or may not know his name, but he's made a great contribution to the study of missions. And he wrote one of the highly, most highly respected books called Transforming Mission. Um, and he said, that mission is primarily and ultimately the work of the triune God, the creator, the redeemer, the sanctifier, for the sake of the world. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God, and it's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It's the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people, since God is a fountain of sending love. 
And that's the whole idea of Missio Dei, or the mission of God. It's something that's ongoing, and it's something that we're invited to play a role in for the time and the moment that God has placed us here. Um, I know a lot of times when Nathan preaches, he'll you know quote Jonathan Edwards or um, someone, um, but you'll probably get a little glimpse of who I am. These are great theologians that we can learn from, but some of the people that I'll quote and some of the references I'll pull in will maybe give you a little bit of a glimpse uh, into into my character, but earlier um, or into my background. Earlier this week, I was listening to something called the 116 Life podcast, which I'm certain that no one in this room has ever listened to, a Christian hip-hop podcast. But anyways, um, they were talking about how God's work outlasts his workers and how God's vision is being carried out through us. It's God doing the work, and we're just invited into it for a finite period of time. Um, and as God's work is ongoing, sometime in our lives, we don't even get to see uh, exactly how our role that God has given us fits into the bigger picture but we can find a certain hope in the fact that it's God's story and it's God's um, mission that's been ongoing for all eternity. In John chapter 1, that term, the word, is translated from a a Greek word, and I'm not a scholar, but I can read Bible notes, um, and so it's the, the Greek word is logos, Um, And it was a term that had rich meaning for the original audience in the Jewish context because it was a term that had referred to the Old Testament law, but also um, to a way in which God created and sustained the world and and also to the way in which he fulfilled his purposes. And then in verse 14, John used this term that's translated in English as dwell, but it's very closely related to the, the term that's used in the Old Testament talking about the glory of God dwelling among his people in the tabernacle. So certain translations will say that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Um, So when John's original audience heard this message from him, it would have been so clear to them that Jesus was coming as a fulfillment of God's ongoing purposes and his ongoing work of redemptive history. It's a passage or a text that was very rich in meaning for them. If you look at verses 4 and 5, you'll see there that there's this contrast of the light of Christ and the darkness of the world. It says that the true light was coming into the world. And later on, when we, when we continue reading the Gospel of John, we'll see that Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And he was sent to bring light into the world. So if that is the way that he was sent, He was sent to bring light. He was sent to be flesh, to dwell among us, um, to play this role in God's redemptive history. Then I want us to turn our attention um, for a little bit to look at how Jesus went and what exactly his mission entailed. Um, So the character of Jesus and the mission of Jesus was always one that was extremely unexpected. Uh, For hundreds of years throughout history, the Old Testament prophets had foretold the coming of a Savior, and, and Isaiah in particular had so much to say about the coming Christ, but also the rest of the prophets, Daniel and Hosea and Micah and others. And the Jewish people had been expecting for a long time some sort of powerful liberator that would come and defeat the Roman Empire 
and set them free and establish a new kingdom for them. But instead, we see that Jesus came in this very unusual way. Um, and he came and he was, he was born to a teenage mother. And you can essentially deduce that from the fact that Scripture says he was, he was born. Um, Mary was a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. Um, and based on the Jewish cultural context around that time, it's reasonable to think that Mary was probably just probably around 15, 16, 17 years old that, at that time, not yet married. Um, Jesus, if we read his story, we see that Jesus experienced traumatic displacement as a refugee. Matthew 2 tells about how his family fled to Egypt uh, because Herod was trying to kill little Jesus. Uh, Jesus came into a working-class family. Uh, we read in the Gospels that, that Joseph was a carpenter. We read that Jesus worked as a carpenter as well. Uh, Jesus was, by definition, or by modern definition anyways, according to his word, uh, he was homeless. And he was someone who aligned most closely with the poor, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. In a very patriarchal society, we see that Jesus spent a lot of time with encouraging uh, and empowering women. So he came as this character that wasn't quite exactly what people thought he was going to be. Um, and then I think the text was up there a minute ago, but when Jesus launched his public ministry, he did so by choosing to read from the scroll of Isaiah and a particular point in the scroll that said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me he, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So through and through, Jesus' mission was unexpected, and it was distinctly focused on reflecting the loving justice of God the Father. And he carried this out through his everyday life, reflecting God to the people around him in his daily rhythms. Jesus said that he came that people might have life and have it to the fullest. And he also said that he came to seek and save the lost. So we've seen how God the Father sent Jesus, and we see the unusual and unexpected way that Jesus went. Um, but thirdly, I want us to look at briefly how was Jesus received. Um, so I want us to turn back again to verse 5 in chapter 1 of John, and it says that the light shone but the darkness did not understand it. And farther down in verses 10 and 11, it says that the world didn't recognize him. His own people didn't accept him. Jesus' disciples did life with him for years, day after day after day. But even some of them rejected him and denied him and misunderstood him. In that John 20 passage that I read in the beginning, we see that even after Jesus was crucified on the cross and he was resurrected and they heard the good news that he had been talking about. They were still afraid and confused about what exactly his mission was all about. If you read the whole gospel of John and the other gospels, you'll see that time and again people misunderstood Jesus. They didn't always get what he was about and he wasn't always well received. But in verse 12 there, it tells us that as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And, and I think it's, if you look there, um, 
I want you to take note of the wording because I think when we're looking at missional living and what does it mean to be missional, there's something that's so key there about the wording uh, because it says, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so when we study Jesus' life as a roadmap for missional living, I think that part is crucial. It's important for us to remember that only God can save people. No matter how great we might think we are or how good the work is that we're doing, um, no one can save except for God. It's not God's harvest, it's our harvest. Each of us are just sinners in need of God's grace. Um, And our job each day is to grow to become more like Christ and to point others to God the Father wherever we are and whatever we do. Pointing people to God the Father through our lifestyles. And so that brings us to our final question, uh, which is, how now shall we live? Nancy Piercy, uh, who is a great thinker and writer, she co-authored a book called How Now Shall We Live? And an amazing book called Total Truth as well. Thick books, but I would encourage you guys to make time to read them. Um, Nancy Piercy says that developing a Christian worldview means submitting our entire selves to God in an act of devotion and service to Him. By understanding that all honest work and creative enterprise can be a valid calling from the Lord, and by realizing that there are biblical principles that apply to every field of work, love and service to God can become living sparks that light up our whole lives. These insights will fill us with purpose, and we'll begin to experience the joy that comes from relating to God in and through every dimension of our lives. Genesis tells us that we're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers of God. And in all things, we're called to reflect the light of Christ in the world around us, using whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's written in 1 Peter 4.10. So wherever we live and whatever we do, our purpose is to point other people to Jesus and to teach others to obey him and to multiply that call, as Gareth spoke about last week. And that's the essence of missional living. David Bosch wrote that mission is quite simply the participation of Christians in the liberating mission of Jesus. It's the good news of God's love incarnated in the witness of a community for the sake of the world. So right now, as we, as we digest this message and as we prepare to go out today, I want each of us to think very carefully about ways that we can orient our lives around God's mission. And as we go through life, we need to think about the way that we work, in the way that we live, in the way that we spend our time, and do so in a way um, that points other people to Jesus. Last week, Gareth shared uh, the three Ds, which are practical tools for missional living, and I would encourage you all to go back and to listen to those in their super practical ways Um, that each one of us can take steps to live missionally. And I just want to touch on a few things. There's no alliteration in my points, but I think first and foremost, in, in missional living, the most important thing that we need to do is to be spending time in prayer. We need to remain prayerful at all times, and I know I'm not really great at this, Um, but it's something that I always come back to. It's something that I know that needs to be done. 
Jesus himself set an example of always, always taking quiet time out to spend in conversation with his Father. And secondly, we must be rooted in God's Word. We need to be spending time reading God's Word daily so that we can get to know the Jesus that we are supposed to be reflecting. And thirdly, we need to be prepared to take radical action. Whether that is something that God is calling you to locally or something that God might call you to globally. One of my favorite books is called uh, Ordinary Radicals, written by a guy called Shane Claiborne. Um, and he writes something in that book uh, that I found yeah, to be quite inspirational. He said that the word radical means root. It's from the Latin word radix, which has something to do with getting to the root of things. But radical is not something that's just reserved for saints or martyrs, which is why I like to complement it with the word ordinary. And ordinary doesn't mean something that's normal. I lament the dreadful seduction which has resulted in Christians becoming so normal. We should be radical in the truest sense of the word. We should be ordinary radicals who want to get at the root of what it means to love and to get at the root of what has made such a mess of our world. So it's a call for each of us to live missionally, each of us to be ordinary radicals. We don't have to be someone special. We can just look at Jesus' life and follow it as a roadmap for missional living. And like Jesus, there might be different stages in our missional living. It might be going, it might be staying, it might be sending, it might be encouraging, it might be teaching, it might be church planting, or it might just mean doing everyday life as an ordinary radical in this place and space that you're in. But as we do that, Finally, we must not be afraid of being misunderstood and rejected. When we read Jesus' story, we see that he was misunderstood and rejected. There will be hard times when we commit to following him. Scripture promises us that. So don't be afraid and don't be surprised when they come. Deciding to live missionally is not an easy decision to make. And I can remember when we were in the airport, it's 2000, early 2000. 11 that we moved here. We we're in the airport on the way uh, to South Africa just before boarding the plane and I called my brother and I was in tears and he's like, what's, what's the matter? And I said, I'm just scared. I don't know. I didn't know. I'm scared of the road that we're leading, that I'm leading my family down and, and this decision to live missionally and where it's taking us. And I don't know what it's going to entail. Um, but we're determined to walk by faith and to see um, and there's been plenty of tears and hard times since then. Um, but I always come back to this passage where Jesus um, shared with his disciples. And he said, truly, I tell you that no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, mother, father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And I can testify that this has been true for us as a family. We've been blessed with incredible community in this church, in this town, and we have an incredible support network from around the world. And, and it's just been such a blessing to try and orient our lives around uh, missional living. Jesus' mission on earth was extremely costly. It included rejection, 
by his closest friends, and ultimately we know that it led to a torturous death on the cross. So our road might be hard as well, but we can always draw strength from the words of the Apostle Paul that are written in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And just for when I don't have my Bible with me, I have the words tattooed on my arm so I don't forget. Um, It says, We have this treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So in conclusion, Uh, If you follow Christ today, know that all of us are sent by Jesus to live and to love like him. But remember that we are not him. We are not the main characters in the story. His life does give us a roadmap, however, of how we can live in a way that brings glory to God. Wherever we call home and whatever work we do, our lives must exist to point others to God's redeeming work on the cross. And if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you don't yet follow Jesus, um, I want you to know that Jesus went through all of this for you, including coming to earth and dying on a cross because he loves you and he wants to reconcile you to your Savior God. And that's the essence of the gospel. It's written in John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the word that we read about earlier in John 1, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your eternal mission. We thank you that you invite us to join you on it. We thank you for your saving grace given to us through Jesus' death on the cross. We pray that we would live our lives in service to you and to your mission. We pray that you would help us to represent you and to bear your image well in the spaces that you place us. Give us the courage to live missionally, to live radically, and to help us walk humbly and love mercy and to live justly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.